As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome. The Athletic Football Show. Today's Thursday, September 9th. We did it, guys. NFL season kicks off today. This is the last of our eight division previews. And to celebrate that with me, I am very excited to welcome all pro offensive tackle and my good friend, Mitchell Schwartz. Mitch, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Just as excited as you are. You know, uh, opening night of NFL season. Uh, always a good day. It's obviously a little different uh, for me right now than normal. <laughs> a little bit less stressful, but uh, excited to watch some good football. For people who do not know, we wanted to include you in this. We're doing the AFC West today, a division that you obviously know very well based, based on your time and your career. We wanted to include you in the divisional previews because you are going to be on the show every single Wednesday during the season. I am incredibly excited that we got to make this happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it as much as you are. You know, it's something that we always talk football anyway, so kind of get to <laughs> do our normal thing, have people listen to us. It's uh, going to be a lot of fun, and, you know, I usually have to talk to other players, and there's a certain level of uh, discourse that you can uh, get away with, and, you know, it helps to have some outside voices, so I'm looking forward to it. Let's dig into the AFC West. Obviously, a division you know extremely well. You spent five years playing in this division, and you spent five years playing for the first team that we're going to talk about. We're going to kick it off with the Chiefs. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time talking about like Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes and the people that make this team great. I want to hear from you. What is the one thing you feel like people don't appreciate enough about Patrick and Travis Kelsey from the outside looking in? Yeah, it's really... It's the fact that they see the game the same way and they're just like on this other level of, you know, kind of that 4D chess type of thing that, you know, Trav just does his own thing. He doesn't necessarily run the route that's on the paper. You know, he kind of feels things out and obviously gets open at an insane rate and the best in, in NFL history at his position. So he, he knows what he's doing, but it can be a little unorthodox. It can be crazy. And, you know, because of that, he's not always going into the exact area he's supposed to. But he and Pat like see the same thing. They feel the same thing. And, you know, if there's a void in the defense, travel just kind of continue on in one direction where he's not supposed to be. And, you know, Pat will like throw in that direction before Trav has even made the break. Like if it's an in-breaking route, there's times where, you know, Pat just knows that like, oh, it's going to be closed down in the middle. Trav's going to break outside. He throws it outside. Trav actually does break outside, which is not supposed to. Even when to. that's not the play. 
yeah it just they they're on this other level of like you know kind of that savant level of nfl feel knowing where everyone is um and it's like they've kind of found their kinship in each other and feeling and seeing the game the same way and just like knowing what the other's gonna do and just like I mean, how do you guard against that when the guy runs a different route than he's supposed to and the ball is still perfectly placed? <laughs> what, and when you guys talk about that the day after, when you're watching tape, how do they describe it? How do they explain it? Like, are the, is the coaching staff okay with that? Like, I have to imagine it's just kind of a weird dynamic overall when you're actually reviewing what you're supposed to have done on that play. Yeah, see, I only get those stories, like, after the fact because we tend to just watch the film as an offensive line unit, and so we don't actually get to, like, hear all the skill guys and, and see what they're doing, which is honestly awesome because, like, the last thing an offensive lineman wants is to have team offensive meetings where, like, you're just watching yourself giving up pressures and sacks and, like, all the receivers are just, like, watching you slow down and show all your bad technique. So it's uh, it's actually a good thing, but it is cool. Like, I mean, not even – I mean, that that's – not necessarily going to happen every game but like those things that pat and trav do and the tyreek does like i don't know that that's happening in the moment you know i can tell oh that happened and he's open and he caught the ball and he made this guy miss and that was really cool but like most of pat's awesome throws i don't know that they happen i don't know it was a no look i don't know it was like <laughs> this crazy thing where he eluded the rush and like short-armed it and still threw it 70 yards so you know, catching up on Twitter after catching up in film and you know, even having the offensive line coach point out, hey, guys, did you see this? And uh, that was always the most fun part is just like seeing how insanely cool they make football look. So obviously we have a lot of things that are the same on this offense. We know about Mahomes. We know about Kelsey. We know about Hill. The huge changes have come along the offensive line. You guys finished 13th in rushing, in rushing DBOA last season. And the entire offensive line is now full of new starters. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, it's five new guys along the offensive line. And I understand the motivation and the turnover and why they wanted to add these types of guys. When you look at the additions that they've made, what does it say to you? Well, the, they're going to prioritize, you know, Pat and what he needs and requires to be, you know, a high-level NFL quarterback. I mean, he's always going to be at that level, but we saw in the Super Bowl, you know, Obviously, it was more injury riddled than anything. But if your O line slips at all, you know that gives a team in in to get to him and you know to make things happen. So I think they're gonna you know kind of prioritize that offensive line every year. I mean, we've seen awesome O lines make you know average quarterbacks look great. So what can an awesome O line do for the best quarterback? You know, imagine that. <laughs> and you know, it's uh, pretty exciting and, and it's kind of cool that they're prioritizing that. I mean, I think that's what maybe was lost the last three or four years, everyone kind of looks at the team and, oh, it's a speed and all this stuff. But, you know, I, I was a pretty good player. Uh, you know, Fish was a pretty good player. Um, we, Larry, you know, Mitch Morris, Austin, you know, we, we had some really good players as well. And um, I would imagine part of that is, you know, they're starting three rookies, you know, center, right guard, right tackle. Uh, obviously, Pat is going to start eating up a, a nice little chunk of the cap. You know, you've got Trav, you've got Tyreek, you got, you know, Tyron, who knows where the extension is going to go, Chris Jones. And so you are getting a bit top heavy with the cap. And so if you're able to have, you know, the center, right guard and right tackle have four years of cost control, um, you know, that's pretty awesome, especially when you're paying the left guard the most money in football. So they went out and got guys who've had experience playing in more of a gap blocking scheme, right? They have Creed Humphrey. They did a ton of it in Oklahoma. Orlando Brown did a ton of it in Baltimore. You guys, that was not a priority. It was not a foundation of your run game over the last several years. The numbers that I saw, I want to say you ran about you know, 45 to 50 runs all season last year with a puller, which ranked like 20th in the NFL. 
even during preseason, you're seeing them do a ton more of that stuff. Does that make sense to you as like the next step of this running game? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not necessarily stuff that we didn't have in the last few years. It's just stuff that, uh, you know, personnel-wise, it just kind of dictates that you're going to run some other things. And so I think they, you know, coaches even talked about balance isn't, you know, 50% run, 50% pass. And obviously, he's been at the top of the league and kind of those neutral down throwing uh, numbers. You know, for him, balance is being able to do any one thing on that play. So it's first and 10. You know, we can run, we can pass, we can play action, we can screen, we can take a shot, we can run a little five-yard route to Kelsey. Um, you know, and then within that, having, you know, every single, like, gadget play isn't just the same jet sweep. You know, every single run isn't the same inside zone read and, and Pat pulls it. And so having that, you know, balance within a run game um, is something that's really going to be important for him. And, you know, so I think we're going to see – the, the gap scheme stuff from kind of those spread formations, which which we, we've always done, and also kind of from the traditional stuff too. I mean, they kept a fullback on the roster. And so, you know, it's obviously an important enough position to roster for him. So uh, I think it's going to be a nice little blend. And, um, yeah, I, I do think the O-line is going to allow, you know, the Chiefs to be a little bit more versatile uh, run game-wise throughout the season. So it, I think that this is just my take from the outside, looking at teams all around the league folding in those gap scheme and power runs has become a staple of every NFL offense, even the ones that you typically think come from a wide zone tree, right? The Browns are doing a ton more of it with Bill Callahan. The Niners are doing a ton of it and have over the last couple years, even though we think of them as like a true blue Shanahan offense. What about like changing front structures in the league do you think has forced offenses into prioritizing and folding in those types of runs? Well, it depends on the defense you're facing, but they're you know, if a linebacker, you know, is taking on the pulling guard and he hits him with one shoulder instead of the other, you know, that's a situation where potentially he's taken himself out of a gap and the safety who's there to make the play. And so, um, you know, you're, you're forcing a guy to take on a, a pretty big human running at him full speed. And if he makes the wrong decision, you know, he's basically made his help completely useless. And so you're able to kind of gain these extra um, you know, defenders that the, the team has lined up there. And now all of a sudden, you know, the linebacker is boxed out his safety and the running back hits, you know, power up the middle for 60 yards. And you wonder why it was an eight-man box. They should have had numbers. Well, the linebacker saw Trey Smith running full speed in him and, you know, just hit him with the wrong shoulder. And it's as simple as that. Um, you know, there is a certain kind of mindset, attitude, physicality that comes with some of those schemes. Um, you know, I think that gets lost maybe a little bit in the whole, uh, you know, O-line Twitter, uh, PFF versus O-line Twitter, uh, body shots don't matter conversation that, you know, part of the run game is kind of that attitude, that physicality. And, you know, it is fun to run zone and inside zone and outside zone, but there's a certain something that uh, when you get power called and you're able to, you know, really get that double team. And, you know, honestly, sometimes you don't even care about the linebacker. You're just really trying to destroy the three technique whenever it happens, happens. You know, that's fun. That's exciting. That kind of bleeds through to other aspects. And so, um, you know, I think teams are definitely catching on to that. Uh, you know, Shanahan's always ran those power schemes. You know, he coaches it a little bit different. He kind of ties it to the zone stuff. So, you know, that front side defensive tackle, to him, it feels like a stretch the other way. So he's, you know, if you think of it as a strength, strong right formation, you know, the left guard's pulling around to the right, the running back and the fullback are leading up. You know, that three tag over the right guard, right tackle, he's seeing two guys, you know, go in the opposite direction of where the, the play is. And he thinks it's a zone all the way on the other side of the field. So he's already scared of losing. <laughs> he's going to overplay that and now open up that huge B gap just because it ties in so well to the outside zone stuff. So 
there is kind of more of a mesh between uh, those schemes than I think people think. And that's why you know, you're seeing even the outside zone heavy teams uh, really rely on it. It feels like a lot more teams are using kind of those under bare fronts too, where they're having five guys cover people just to prevent combos and people from climbing. Did you guys see a lot of that? Or are you just not the type of offense that people are going to do that against because of how defenses want to distribute their resources against you? No, you did tend to see that. I mean, part of it is you're either, you know, dropping an edge guy into coverage if you're trying to play a zone or you're kind of just saying, all right, we're going to go man on the outside and have, you know, one backer kind of left in the box in those sub formations. So, uh, it's maybe a little bit more risky, especially, you know, up front. If one guy gets cut out of a gap, you tend to have, you know, a guy or two less in the box to to take up for him on the on the back end. Um, you know, there are some really good runs. I mean, we I remember we we ran bare like every third and one to three, you know, for a few years there. And we played New England. I think it was the AFC championship game. They beat us. And basically every third down from like one to five, they just ran single back power. And it's a little bit high risk, high reward, but, you know, you got three offensive linemen down blocking, one guy coming around, he blocks one linebacker and the rest of the box is wide open and they converted every one. And so th there are some ways to combat it. Um, but again, you're like you said, you're typically not getting as many of those double teams as you like. And so, you know, run fit wise, it definitely trends towards the, the defense's advantage. So obviously you mentioned three rookies uh, along the starting offensive line, including a sixth-round pick at right tackle. A very talented sixth-round pick, right? Like We know that Trey Smith has much better talent than a typical sixth-round pick does. There's injury concerns, everything else he dealt with the Tennessee. But I think it speaks to how good of an offensive line coach Andy Heck is that those guys are going to be ready to go. You work with him for years. Are you surprised that it looks like this group is all set with three rookies on it based on his track record of success as an offensive line coach? Definitely not. I mean, Kochek is awesome. You know, he's had a bunch of success. You know, we've had injured O-lines pretty much every year. I mean, our Super Bowl year, Fish missed half the year. You know, we played with a backup left tackle for half the season. You know, the inside three, you know, Austin stayed pretty healthy, but it's kind of been a little bit of a, of a revolving door at guard. You know, he's always had guys ready to play. And so uh, he does a good job not only with the starting unit, but also, you know, those second and third units in training camp of, you know, cross-training guys. You know, you can play left and right. You can play tackle and guard. You know, a guy gets hurt plugging someone in. Uh, so, you know, the depth is always there, um, you know, except when you have – four guys hurt and another two opt out. But, uh, you know, it's the, the depth, they always pretty, do a pretty good job of both talent-wise, and that's, you know, Brett Beach in, in the front office and also Coach Heck coaching him up. And then starting-wise, I mean, Coach does an awesome job. You know, he blends technique, kind of skill set, knowledge, what's the defense going to do, all those things. He doesn't make it overwhelming. You know, he played the game, so he, you know, is very in tune with, you know, what a, a – NFL offensive tackle, you know, needs for that week and what's going to be too much information, what's going to be the right amount of information. So uh, one of those situations that, you know, him having such a long career uh, definitely helps out because he's been in our shoes. He knows, you know, the way we feel, the stress that we feel, you know, kind of all those things. So um, no surprise he's got those guys ready to go. Uh, they, they look pretty good in the preseason. I was, you know, very encouraged by those three games. And obviously, you know, Coach plays in those three games, so being able to see him. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it's going to fare up against a pretty good, uh, you know, defensive line group in the first game against Cleveland. The big question outside of the line and all those new pieces, obviously, is, are the receiving options outside of Hill and Kelsey. And it's taken a little while for McCole Hardman to come on. He's been sprinkled in. His role has been fairly marginalized over the last couple of years as other people have stepped into that number two receiver role. Do you see him kind of taking a step this year and being able to take on that number two spot? Or do you feel like that staff just thinks about his skill set and how he fits into the bigger scheme 
a little bit differently than maybe people on the outside do? No, I think it's a pretty natural progression. I mean, I feel like there aren't too many guys. I mean, even Tyreek, I think, had a pretty good second year. But for the most part, it takes a few years to get acclimated fully to the offense, you know, to kind of get into your role. You know, it took D-Rob a few years, um, you know, second some of the other guys a few years. And I think part of it is they have, like, very specific roles. You know, it's not like, all right, you know, Sammy's kind of the bigger body. You know, he was able to do some things. You know, if he's out for a few games, you know, McColl isn't necessarily going to have to go in and do Sammy's job because they have such different body types, different skill sets, that it can be difficult if you're not kind of one of those top two guys who, you know, all the plays are being designed for to have to go do something that doesn't exactly fit you uh, perfectly. So, um, you know, coaches is, is really good about, you know, finding a guy's strengths, accentuating those, uh, knowing how to use them and, you know, being in your whatever third or fourth year from a call here. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience. He knows what Pat likes, what Pat doesn't like, you know, where he fits in the offense, all those things. So I don't really see any reason he's not going to have a, a pretty strong year. What do you expect from Claude Edwards Hilaire this year, just in year two? Like what you saw from him early last year compared to what you would expect from him in your in his second year? Yeah, again, I think just keep improving. Obviously, it's all health related. He had, you know, a little bit of an injury at the end of last year, a bit of an injury in, in training camp this year. So if he's healthy, he's on the field. I mean, we've seen him, you know, do some pretty exciting things. And uh, you know, he's obviously not the tallest guy, but that means he's, you know, low to the ground, he's compact, he's got really good change of direction and strength and all those things. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think, you know, that's probably one of the biggest uh, reasons they drafted him. And, uh, you know, coming out of LSU, everyone was saying, oh, he's the perfect, you know, Andy Reid running back. He's able to, to run and catch and do all those fun things. So, yeah, as long as he stays healthy, uh, you know, I can't see, again, another reason why he wouldn't be uh, thriving, especially with, you know, as we talked about, some of the diverse schemes that they're going to run. Let's get to the defense. I know that playing against it in practice is different, but I always enjoy talking to opposing play callers then the way they approach and think about the Spags defense because it's such a pain in the ass to deal with because you really know you don't know what's coming. Like they, I've, it's been described to me as like one of those Rolodex defenses where you just kind of spin it and then pick, and that's really really hard to game plan for. I'm sure in practice it's not that complex, but what to you is the most annoying part of playing against him and the way that he approaches defense? No, the problem in practice is you're always a day behind because you don't know what they're installing. So like he throws in these five really cool blitzes and, oh, this is what they're doing. And so as practice goes on, you're like, oh, okay, if, you know, Tyron's over here and Dan's over here and then this linebacker's over there, you know, they're going to run this. So you get used to it. You watch the film. All right, if they run this, we got it. And the next day it's five new blitzes. <laughs> so you're always going to feel like you're, you know, a full day behind, um, which is frustrating because, as you said, you just never know what you're getting from him. Um, but that's also good because it makes you – Kind of utilize your base rules you know you know as training camp goes all the plays are installed and we have a set of rules against this front and this look you know this is what you're supposed to do and so when you don't re really know what they're going to do you kind of have to rely on you know your fundamentals your base rules and then you know the kicker for spags he's got tyron and Sorensen and thornhill back there who are all you know kind of interchangeable parts and smart guys and understand the defense and so you know they could be playing three different spots and you kind of have to treat him as the traditional safety. So uh, again, you just don't quite know what's going to happen. Uh, I think it's been good for Pat to see all these things as well and kind of get a, a feel for it. And, um, you know, maybe as you go into a, a game and, you know, Todd Bowles throws a new blitz at you that you haven't seen, um, you know, maybe something similar has happened in practice and you're able to react to it. 
number one in the league last year in the percentage of snaps that they sent six or more guys. Being the, the defensive coordinator of the Chiefs must be fucking awesome. You're just like living in YOLO world all of the time because you know the team is going to score 30 points a game. It rules. But last year, if you look at like the efficiency numbers, they finished 22nd in defensive DVOA. I'm not sure to say you guys or they. I'm still kind of figuring it out the way to do this. The Chiefs finished 22nd in defensive DVOA, which is a de- decent step back from the year before. Like last year, they were in a, or the year before, they were an above average defense. And you look at it, and they were the healthiest unit on defense last year in the NFL. So it's not as if there were these hidden injuries that were holding them back. So when you're looking at this defense, what do you think needs to happen for them to creep up back toward that league average or a little bit better than that level in 2021? Well, I think it's all kind of predicated on that D-line. You know, I think they do uh, a lot to get to the quarterback. You know, as you said, those percentages of six-plus man pressures, a lot of those are, are the zero pressures where you're just trying to get to the quarterback, you know, get the ball out. Um, you know, you're not leaving the corners on an island for four-plus seconds. So, you know, I would imagine he doesn't necessarily want to run that many uh, zero pressures. <laughs> but, you know, it's also predicated on on the on the D line and them getting the quarterback. We obviously know, you know, Chris Jones, uh, Frank Clark. You know, they brought Reed in. They've got Turk, who's a second uh, year defensive tackle, who's you know shown a lot of promise. So they got some guys up front who can rush the passer. Um, you know, I think it's going to you know come down to them and you know how quickly they can get to the quarterback on their own. You know, I think in a perfect world, every defensive coordinator would love to rush for every play and just have those guys get to the quarterback in two seconds. You know, I'd say that's probably a defensive coordinator's dream. And then from there, you can really do whatever you want. So obviously one of the bigger changes is the idea of moving Chris Jones outside a little bit more often. I want to say that he played on the edge about 200 of his 800 snaps last year. How do you feel about that plan? Yeah, I was a little bit, uh, you know, surprised to hear that going into the season. You know, typically you've seen some big defensive ends. I mean, he's a big dude and, you know, he doesn't necessarily fit the, Four three defensive end, uh, you know, kind of rule book for what you're looking for in that defensive end. Now he probably, my guess would be, he tends to play on the strong side over the tight end, maybe, and not quite as much on the open side. That I would imagine Frank is going to play there more, but we didn't really get to see that in the preseason, so who knows how that's really going to play out. Um, but he's more of you know a three four defensive end, you know, the JJ Watt, the Cam Hayward. Um, you know, you typically don't see that guy in the wide nine, you know, out there on first and ten. Um, so it's going to be interesting, you know, he's destroyed everyone he's faced in the preseason. So it looks like he's acclimated well to it. You know, I know he was excited to, to get back out there. You know, typically those D line guys like as much space as they can. So, uh, the further away they get from, from the center, the, the more excited they are, the less double teams. Um, but yeah, I, I would also be interested in that, you know, the stat on him playing the 200 ish snaps as, as an edge, whether that was in, you know, a three down line situation or, you know, a true four down situation. Cause I honestly can't remember him playing too much, you know, true four defense alignment in the game, him at defensive end. Uh, but based off the preseason, man, he's going to crush it. So obviously, I think one of the reasons that they're thinking about that is that they need more juice off the edge. Last year, Frank Clark, Clark had, I think, relatively a down year. It was 29th in pressures among edge players, which doesn't seem that bad. But you look at it on a per snap basis, this is a guy that's on the field all the time. And on an efficiency level, he was wedged between Jabal Sheard and Benson Mayoa. That's not great, especially because this year his cap hit is going to be $25.8 million. That's the seventh highest cap hit in the NFL, not among edge guys, among players in the NFL. And we've talked about this before. 
it almost feels like it's it's such an indication of where this team can get by. Like if this was on any other team and you had a guy who had a down year like that making top 10 money among all players in the league, it would be a huge deal. On this team, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we have Patrick Mahomes. It'll probably be okay. Yeah, you know, Frank definitely brings something to the defense that you know isn't necessarily all in the stat numbers. I know last year, I'm sure he would say he wanted to have more sacks, more production, all that. But um, there is this just like craziness to him that uh, <laughs> really bodes well. I mean, he fires Chris up. He fires the young guys up on the middle. You know, he brings it every week. He's excited to go out there and play. Uh, you know, when he's out there for practice, he's bringing it. You know, he's a good guy to, to face as an offensive lineman. And so, you know, I think obviously they're pretty confident in, in the production bouncing back. Uh, you know, otherwise they would probably try to do something with that cap number or whatever it, uh, you know, could be or could be reduced or whatever. So I would imagine the team's, you know, pretty excited about having him on, on the opposite side. Uh, you know, I know he's excited. And, yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty tough pairing because, you know, if – Chris is balling and Frank is balling, you know, you can't really choose which side you're going to help. You know, at that point, you kind of have to chip both sides. And now, you know, you're slowing down some routes here, you know, kind of throwing off the rhythm of a typical passing game. So uh, it could be a pretty deadly duo. I'd imagine we still see, you know, Chris kick down to three tech every now and again. I mean, those guys running games together, TEZTs, has uh, always been pretty good on third down. So I'm, I'm sure we'll still see some of that as well. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes total sense to me, right? Like, remember, how many times did you have to deal with Bosa and Ingram on the same side, even though they're both technically edge guys on early downs? I mean, using them together, I think, makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even if, you know, you're able to do that and they're not going to get the one-on-one, I mean, typically you're going to try to slide your line to Chris Jones and Frank Clark on the same side or Ingram and Bosa on the same side. You know, that kind of makes it more predictable for the other side as well. And they kind of know they're in that one-on-one situation and they can uh, have a little bit more confidence in it. Jerron Reed came in as that other defensive tackle. It's kind of an interior pass rushing force you guys haven't had outside of Chris Jones for the last couple of years. Most of the guys in that role have been run stuffing kind of space eaters, which he is not, which I'm interested to see how those pieces fit together because it's just a very different grouping than it's been in years past. On the back end though, I have some questions. What in your mind do you think is the biggest personnel question for this defense as a whole? Yeah, it still probably is corner. I mean, I think linebacker, they know what they have. You know, it seems like Willie's going to start on IR. Um, You know, Hitch, by all accounts, is is having a great camp. You know, Ben Neiman's always been there as a a nickel, you know, linebacker in coverage. You know, I know they're excited about Bolton. Um, So I think they, they feel pretty good about the linebackers. You know, corners especially in this division, uh, you know, you're going up against the Broncos have a bunch of receivers, the Raiders have a bunch of receivers, Chargers have a bunch of receivers, um, you know, having three, four or five guys you can roll out there and feel good about, uh, that's always going to be the concern. And, you know, it's one of the positions they don't have, you know, a $20 million guy there as well. So they don't really have that one uh, true anchor from a, a money standpoint. Um, so that's probably going to be the the thing that they're looking at. But again, it's the cat and mouse thing. Is it the the outside locks down the receivers, allows the D-line to get home, is it that the D-line's getting home and, you know, making it a little bit easier on the DBs? Uh, that kind of goes hand-in-hand, hand. I think, you know, with this defensive front, they'll be able to help out. It's really interesting dice rolls, right? They trade for Mike Hughes, who fell out of favor in Minnesota. He's probably going to start for them on the outside. Legereus Sneed was great last year. When they're in nickel, he'll be in the slot again. That moves Tyron into kind of a more traditional role, but who knows how long that'll last feels like he's going to be playing all over the place like he always has. And then DeAndre Baker is on this team. 
So they have like two first round guys with first round pedigree that they're going to try to slot into one of those spots. I mean, it's definitely the group to watch. It's the one that's absolutely the most influx on this defense and probably more of a question mark than the offensive line, even with all the moving pieces. All right. Let's get to the categories here. One guy you cannot wait to watch on your old team this year. Yeah, I went with Chris Jones. It's uh, you know going to be really exciting to see him out there. You know, the early returns, as I said, are, are pretty uh, fun. You know, obviously, it could you could go Pat, you can go Kelsey, you can go Tyreek. I mean, that's a little bit too. Those obvious. are too easy. But yeah, I think you know watching Chris do his thing. You know, I think he's um, you know one of the catalysts of that defense. And so if he's able to go out there, play the defensive end spot, you know, kick down to three tech in certain situations, and um, really just do his thing it's going to be you know a lot of fun to see and i know you know the whole defense feeds off that i'm just going to go with the offensive line as a whole i mean i want to see how it looks i want to see how they look together i want to see what the screen game looks with like a totally revamped offensive line there's just so much intrigue i mean trey smith looks like a monster for a sixth round pick a lot to watch there i'm very excited about that biggest x factor for you on the chiefs yeah the o-line as you just said you know i think you know, as they go, the team goes, uh, you know, the offense is probably always going to be good. You know, I don't think anyone is has the expectation to, to just be good. You know, they want to be the best offense in the league. They want to set records, all those things. You know, it's going to come down to, to the O-line doing their part, you know, keeping Pat clean, making sure those running lanes are open, you know, allowing coach to dial up, you know, all those crazy plays that we've seen. So, uh, you know, I think their ability to stay together as a whole, you know, do exciting things. I think the depth also is is good there as well. Um, you know, that's going to be whether it's a good offense, a great offense, or, you know, one of the best ones we've seen. It's so funny that that's the standard here. And it, it it's totally realistic. It, I, over the last week or so, there's been a lot of, I don't know, just graphs coming across my timeline of quarterbacks in certain situations, whether it's clean pockets, muddy pockets, third and whatever. And it's just so hilarious to watch where he is on the graph in comparison to everyone else. He's just so much better than any other quarterback in the NFL in these sticky statistical situations. And do you feel like little tiny elements of it? Looking at blitz dropbacks, for example, and how teams just don't blitz the Chiefs because they're so afraid of what he's going to do to them. The tiny little ways that he influences the game are innumerable. Like you can't, you could never even list them all off if you wanted to. And that's why I don't even try in a situation like this. Like he's just Pat Mahomes. He's a known quantity. We can move on. Exactly. I mean, it's as simple as that. <laughs> all right. My biggest X factor is my cues. I mean, it, yeah, that second cornerback spot. When you have that hole in your in your secondary, and when teams know about it, it just becomes something that they try to knock on every single time they can. How much, can we get this thing to crack and we know where the weak spot is? And if that can be a little bit less weak than we think it is coming into the season, I think that goes a long way. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get to the Chargers here. Part of me wants to see this entire segment to you because I've already said a lot. I feel like I've already said a lot of things about the Chargers that I'm going to regret and that I can't take back with how excited I am for them. The nice thing is, though, you are not an NFL media member, which I not technically yet. So I think it might give you a little bit of clarity here that us Chargers hypers don't have. How does like the NFL as a whole look at the Chargers? You know, I would say in any other year, a lot of talent, kind of bad luck. Uh, you know, they're going to be there and then something bad's going to happen. And uh, I forget which, some writer has a thing that basically every fourth quarter was Phillip Rivers down eight, trying to lead a comeback and, you know, losing with 30 seconds left. And so, you know, that's not on the table anymore. They, they've got a new quarterback that everyone's excited about. You know, he didn't even know he was starting and almost beat us in his first career start with no one in the stands and like the weirdest environment I've ever played in. So, you know, I think there's a lot of room for, for excitement there. A new head coach, you know, kind of new life, new energy. You know, obviously we'll talk about uh, new O-line as well. Um, but I think, you know, as players, you kind of look at who you're up against. And for me, it's always been Ingram and Bosa and that D-line. And, you know, they've got Tillery and they've got a couple other guys they're excited about. And so it's always been, you know, one of the most dreaded weeks of the year. You know, they've always had a really solid scheme, you know, that Gus Bradley scheme. And, and they've literally blitzed us once in an entire season you know it's it's just like <laughs> they're gonna line up they're gonna roll their guys out there and see who's better um so we always you know had a tough time against them because they had good players they had good scheme they did it exceptionally well um for whatever reason our defense seemed to perform really well against them like rivers if you just took like 14 games and you threw out the two chiefs games like he would have won the mvp every year but in our two <laughs> games he had like seven picks and i don't know how that happened but it seemed to happen every year um so, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's an exciting young team. They're getting better. Uh, you know, it's kind of scary from the Chiefs' perspective to, to see them and just kind of continually evolving. And then it seems like they really have found their guy at QB. I was going to ask you about that because it does feel like players know. Like, players just sometimes know. Like, this guy either has it or he doesn't. Do you feel like he's one of those guys where you watch him and it's just like, yeah, that guy just has whatever it is? Yeah, it really does seem like it. I mean, it seemed like it in that game. You know, Yeah, like that's said, what I mean. Again, I it took me like three plays. I was like, wait, Herbert? That's not Tyrod at quarterback, right? I'm like, did he start the game? Is this some weird package I don't know about? You know, we're on the sidelines. We don't, we don't have our phones. We don't know the dude just got punctured in the chest with a freaking needle. So, you know, you just see him out there, and then all of a sudden, like, they're just marching down the field, marching down the field. You know, they ran some of the same option stuff, and he was successful with it. Obviously, he threw the ball insanely far and insanely fast, and, you know, everyone knows about his arm. He took, like one of the biggest shots from a linebacker I've ever seen. And because it was on the opposite sideline and there were no fans, you could just straight up here. I think it was Damian Wilson was running full speed into uh, Herbert. They collided and like Damian got the worst of it and Herbert just popped up and shook it off. And I was like, oh my God, like this dude is <laughs> built. Uh, so yeah, he's basically got all the physical attributes. It sure seems like he's got, you know, the mental uh, capabilities. I mean, we saw that article, I think from Mina uh, earlier this week or last week. 
you know, kind of showing off that just because, you know, he's an introvert and he doesn't necessarily yell and scream out there doesn't mean, you know, he's not a good leader. Some some other people also wrote about Justin Herbert last week, Mitchell. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Shouting out the Mina story as hey, mine, mine just kind of dies I'm on the vine. To, I'm careful to the guests on the pod. Okay. You're you're the you're the consistent <laughs> one here. So we have to give some love to the guests. I think that there's been a lot of talk about where he's going to be in year two. And if you look at some of the numbers, I understand the concerns about whether he's going to regress. 7.6 yards per attempt last year under pressure. 13 touchdowns compared to two interceptions. And if you look at while he was kept clean, he was worse. 7.1 yards per attempt when kept clean. That is typically a recipe for a step back. I just don't buy it. (laughs) When you watch the guy play and you see like the ins and outs of what he's doing play in and play out, you think about the physical talent and you think about the additions they've made personnel-wise and just the faith I have in their overall recipe offensively, I really do believe he's going to take a leap. Like, I think he's going to be one of the guys sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more to add to that. You've done a lot more research on that. You know, you've <laughs> quarterback Atlanta, you, know more, you know more, you've talked to the OC, you've kind of tracked that tree for forever. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm with you on that. I agree with you. It, it seems like everything's pointing up. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, one of the big things is, what a quarterback does when he's kept clean is probably the more consistent thing long-term versus what he does against pressure. But, um, you know, it just seems like he's a guy that's going to keep getting better. I mean, we saw Josh Allen make a pretty historic leap from year two to three. Um, you know, Herbert doesn't have to make that same leap. He's already starting out at a much higher level, and there's no reason to think he's not going to make, you know, a leap uh, as well. What the offense looks like around him is really fascinating to me. I wrote about it last week, like we alluded to, and, the way that Brandon Staley laid it out to me was kind of a three-pronged approach in how they wanted to structure the offense. The baseline of it is the Saints stuff, right? Like They are going to bring all of the formations and the motions and the complexity of what the Saints do because Staley feels like it mirrors what he does on defense. When you have all of these different ways to present the offense to someone, it becomes a real pain in the ass to prep for. And that's what they want to be. They want it just to be hard on opposing defenses. The other side of it is they brought in Shane Day as the quarterback's coach because Staley wanted the boot keeper game that the Niners have because he felt like being able to marry the run in the pass like those guys do and get Justin on the move serves what he's good at and allows him to make plays outside the pocket because he has the mobility and the arm to do that. And then the other side of it that I was really interested in, I thought it was a great point, is that he comes from that Oregon shotgun kind of RPO world. And they wanted to fold that aspect in as well. And Staley had an up-close look at what that type of approach can do against his defense when they played against the Packers last year. So they hired a Packers quality control coach as their tight ends coach. So you have these three things kind of coming together and Justin being able to say, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, and being able to put his stamp on the offense. I just think that level of intentionality about how they've built this thing speaks to how just deep Brandon Staley is going on this stuff. Like he knows what he wants out of every single aspect of how this team is going to be built. Yeah. A lot of coaches come in and they say, Oh, this is your guys offense. We're going to build it around you and whatever you guys like, and we're going to make you look good. And they went out and hired that way. They've literally done everything in that way. You know, the only maybe pause for just a little bit of concern is that those are kind of three separate trees, separate ideas. Um, you know, obviously Lombardi there, he, he's got his own thing. I, I just think you don't want to blend too much of, you know, 
the Shanahan and this and that, because then you don't necessarily have your own identity. You're kind of just this weird combination of what everyone else is doing that you like. And so, you know, that's probably, we haven't seen it. They didn't play anybody. So, um, you know, probably going to be something the first few weeks that's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of the identity that this specific offense takes on. And as you said, I mean, the identity is going to be Herbert. It's, it's what's going to be comfortable for him. But just in terms of what that exactly looks like and what we can say, oh, this looks more like the Shanahan or this looks more like, um, you know, one of the other coaches, uh, it's going to be interesting to see which it kind of takes on. I can't wait to see what he looks like in practice. Like that, him with those skill position players, and then again, this revamped offensive line like you alluded to. Chiefs are not the only team that rebuilt their offensive line this year. The Chargers have four new starters and kind of five if you, if you consider Bulaga, who didn't play a ton last year. Herbert was pressured on 36.6% of his dropbacks last season, which was the ninth highest rate in the league. You'd hope that gets better. We got from left to right, Rashawn Slater's at left tackle, their first-round pick. They signed Matt Filer in free agency to be their left guard. They made Corey Lindsley the richest center in NFL history to be their center. Ode Abushi comes in. Kind of a weird career. Like, bounced around a little bit. Had a really good season in Detroit last year. They think his best football is in front of him, even though he's in his 30s. And then you bring Balaga back. I mean, they remade this entire group in a single offseason. And I think that is driving a lot of my enthusiasm for why Herbert can stave off some of that regression just because everything around him has also improved. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it with the chiefs. If, you know, the offensive line is able to perform at a level that doesn't have to be, you know, a top five O line in the league, obviously that's kind of the goal for any unit. But if you're a top 10 offensive line, if you're one of the better ones, you just unlock this whole other level to your offense. And, you know, with Herbert, especially any young guy being able to, to keep him clean, to keep, you know, his feet, you know, clean and, and uh, go in there. It's one of the quarterback things that they, you know, tend to feel that pressure and just an uncomfortable feeling for them. You know, a lot of guys, pretty much all of them, I mean, they'll stand in there and they'll take the shots, but those shots take a toll over time. And so, uh, you know, solidifying that O-line, it's also going to allow them to do some of those other schemes that are a little bit more taxing. Um, you know, some of the stuff can be a little bit easier, some of the, you know, outside zone and then the play action stuff off of it the play action stuff is awesome because you're just <laughs> running to you know hit a guy and then just you know running away because the quarterback's in the other direction so um being able to do you know some more advanced play action schemes which herbert did a really good job last year um that's going to open up some of those more the deep shots the vertical you know stress that you can put on the defense you talked to Rashawn Slater a bit at OI Masterminds. It was cool to watch him pick your brain. What do you feel comfortable sharing about what he wanted to know from you? Yeah, he was just talking about different techniques and, you know, trying to kind of get what he was comfortable with in college and, you know, apply it to the NFL level and some of the stuff he had felt in, in OTAs and things he was being coached. You know, you can tell he's got a pretty insane, you know, uh, attention to detail. He's wanting to learn every little bit. You know, I think – I was kind of that way when I was young that I tried to do too much. I, you know, tried to learn from this guy and learn from that guy and copy this one. And, oh, he played Vaughn well, so I'm going to try his technique. And, um, you know, with him, he's so good already. I mean, he's a lot better than, than I ever was as, as a young guy. So he just needs to trust himself. I mean, he's got the foundation. He's going up against Bosa every day in practice, which I don't envy one bit. Um, so I think he's going to, you know, have a – a pretty good start to his career and you know he's just got to trust himself because he's got all the tools one thing i think is interesting being able to have filer play tackle in a pinch kind of protects them a little bit and i'll be curious if they do that like if balaga misses time which is kind of a going concern at this point in his career are would they move filer out to tackle and then bring in 
Brendan Hymas, the guy they picked in the fifth round to play guard. And even that option being on the table, to me, just sets this team up and protects them from eventualities that have kind of doomed them over the last couple of years. Yeah, I thought he played good ball at right tackle a couple of years ago. I was surprised the Steelers moved him to guard. Um, you know, I wasn't really sure what the motivations were behind it, but if you've got a guy that's shown himself capable of tackle, you know, I don't think you necessarily move him to guard unless you think he's going to be, you know, one of the best in the, in the league at his position. So uh, I think, you know, like you said, I would imagine he, he slides out to right tackle if something were to happen. And having a guy who's, you know, performed at an above average level uh, is a pretty cool asset for him. Let's get to the defense. How much of this defense that the Rams ran did you watch last season? Like, how, how in tune are you with some of the stuff that they were doing? I didn't watch too much of it. You know, I kind of read all the articles in the second half as Staley, <laughs> you know, seemed to be written about by everybody. Um, so I have a bit of a grasp on kind of the style, what he likes to do. Um, I'm excited to see it. You know, we haven't seen it with this personnel. You know, we saw it with you know, an awesome corner and an awesome defensive tackle. And now we're going to see it with an awesome defensive end and this kind of Swiss Army knife piece of safety corner linebacker, whatever you want Derwin to be. Um, so it's going to be cool to see, you know, how he blends, you know, the same scheme or a similar scheme around two players who play a bit of a different position. That's what I'm so excited to watch. I mean, obviously with Mac and with Vaughn, they had a front where the edge player was the best player. And they really did a good job of scheming up ways to get Mac one-on-one when Staley was in Chicago. And he has Jay Rogers there with him with the Chargers now, who is the defensive line coach with the Bears. Ronaldo Hill is his defensive coordinator who was in Denver. So you have these guys who have a real true history and foundation of this defense in a way that even that staff with the Rams last year didn't have. So I think that part of it is interesting. So then, yeah, that's the big question. When Bosa is the guy up front, how do you build around that? And now... When Derwin is the guy on the back end, how do you build around that? Because the way they could build some overlap with Ramsey, where they would lock him on the back side of stuff, makes it so easy to build double teams and overlap on the other side of your defense. When you don't have that corner, what does it end up looking like? I really don't know the answer. And I think that they haven't shown anything in the preseason for a reason. I do know that he understands he has to be a lot different this year, but I don't even know like where to begin forecasting what that's going to look like. Yeah, I don't either. That's that's probably going to be as much as we want to see the offense. I mean, that's probably going to be the more like cool football nerdy thing is how you know Staley goes about deploying these guys on defense. And they've got the personnel. I mean, they've drafted some pretty awesome guys at every position. Um, they've got some good depth, you know, at all three spots. So uh, he's got a lot of pieces to work with. You know, it's again because we haven't seen it, we don't know what it's going to look like. Uh, kind of those wait and see things. But when you got a guy like Derwin who could potentially, you know, play that corner shut down the side of the field oh the next week they're going against you know the chiefs and maybe he guards kelsey that week and um you know he's just going to be able to be so much more multiple and a little bit more um you know as you're preparing for it you're just not quite sure what you're going to get and so as an offensive play caller potentially you know there aren't quite as many tells there aren't quite as many certainties with the defense and that plays into his favor my only concern with them personnel-wise, the, the secondary is not deep, right? They've got a lot of young guys that they've drafted. I hope Samuel most likely slides into that third corner spot where it's him, Michael Davis, Chris Harris, but their safety depth is not great. And the kind of the different personnel package they could throw at you last year with all the defensive backs they had with the Rams, I don't know if they can do that with this team. They're stronger at linebacker. Like, that's what we're talking about. These, the little tiny quirks of this roster compared to that one are really interesting. And then the other side of it is, they had so many guys on that Rams defensive line 
who were completely happy just eating blocks. Michael Brockers, Morgan Fox, Sebastian Joseph Day. I don't know what that looks like with a 30-something-year-old Linval Joseph, Jerry Tillery, who's kind of more of a one-gap penetrator, like Christian Covington is on this team. So them playing like that in the front may be a little bit more difficult than it was with the Rams last year. But again, it's just these little tiny things that there's no way for us to know what it's going to look like until we see it. Yeah, I mean, that was really the revelation, right, that he was able to kind of play gap and a half up front and stay too high on the back end and – you know, really gain that extra defender just in the technique they were they were coaching the D line and the linebackers, and so um, it's going to be interesting to see you know how that gets borne out. You know, as, as we see things, especially I mean, as he goes up against the Chiefs, if he can you know be able to defeat some of the the sub packages with five or six man boxes and, and stop the run game and be able to you know gain that extra defender on the back end, um, you know that's going to unlock a lot of pretty awesome things for the defense. All right, one guy you cannot wait to watch on the Chargers this year. Well, to me, it's Derwin. I mean, we just we've been talking about him for so long, and you know, it's going to be cool to to see him. It looks like he's had a great camp. He's healthy. Um, as we said, he's kind of the Swiss Army knife. I mean, we know Bosa's going to be on the line on one of the two sides. Um, but Derwin, like I said, I mean, if he can one week play safety, lock down a top tight end, if he can play corner the next week, slot the next week, you know, not only is he potentially taking away the best player, not just the best receiver, like a Ramsey. But also, you know, he's leading to some uncertainty as you're game planning that you don't quite know, are they going to go into the game thinking, all right, two guys are covering Kelsey every time, or all right, you know, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? You know, he's able to kind of meld the game plan week to week around this one defender who's, um, you know, kind of taken over any role he needs him to, to have. I'm going with Justin Herbert. I know that's easy, but I just I think that guy has truly special ability. I can't wait to see how they unlock it. You know, the way they talk about his ability to throw a football and the type of the things, some of the things he can do, I just think it's going to unlock so much for them. I think we're going to see a down the field vertical offense that looks nothing like the Saints' offense has looked over the last couple of years, but looks a lot like the Saints' offense looked ten or so years ago. All right, biggest X factor for you on the Chargers? Yeah, I had Bosa because I. You know, I still think that one defense alignment has more of an impact than one defensive back. Uh, you know, I think in totality, we've seen these, you know, really awesome secondaries that can shut down, you know, an entire unit and really make a defense go. But if you could have, you know, one star corner, one star defensive end, you know, I think you got to take the defensive end just because he's able to impact, you know, more plays, all the run plays, all the pass plays. You know, he's leading to more drive stoppers in terms of sacks and turnovers in terms of strips and, you know, kind of knock balls. So I think, you know, as Bosa goes, this, this defense will go because I think, you know, that pass rush is, is very linked to how they play in the back end. Is he your least favorite guy to go against? Yeah, he's, uh, he's not very fun, that's for sure. And then, of course, they went and got turf. And so now half of his games he gets to play on, like, the greatest, you know, turf ever and just, like, the best traction. And now his power moves are, like, 50% stronger. And, uh, yeah, it's – Dude, we played him like two years ago in Mexico, and the field was a mess, and it was like super loose, and like he had a false start, and literally both feet dug out craters like it was an Olympic sprinter's sprinter's block, and I was like, this is awesome because like he's not getting his best get off. So uh, yeah, he's uh, what he can what do sucks about it? Like what 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 is difficult about preparing for him and just playing against him, play it and play out? Well, it's that he can do anything at a high level. You know, he can beat you inside, beat you outside, run through you with power. And like the second you overset, he goes inside. And the second you underset, he goes outside. So like you will always know 
where you're weakest against him because he just attacks that. And even if he has a game plan, he's still feeling it out on the go. So, like, he's got his game plan. He has his, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden you present something different, he capitalizes on it. Um, and then, of course, he plays at, like, a very uh, high level and a lot of energy and brings it every play. And it's just not very fun, man. Not very fun. <laughs> even talking about it, you sound miserable. All right. I was going to go with Derwin, but you talked about him as the guy to watch. I will go with Mike Williams. I think that if he can stay healthy and give them that kind of vertical down the field 50-50 option in this offense with Herbert's arm, I just think it gives them a dynamic that I don't know makes this team really scary. I mean, you combine him, Jalen Guyton, and Keenan, I mean, that group and the way they fit together with Austin Eckler is a really cool unit. I mean, that group of receivers and just their individual skill sets, I'm very excited about. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's get to the Broncos. Everyone loves an underwhelming quarterback competition, man. Always fun when you're battling out with Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. I'm curious, did you ever have like a preseason quarterback competition in Cleveland? No, not really. My first year was Whedon. My second year was also Whedon. My third year, we drafted Johnny, but we were just kind of rolling with Hoyer, and there wasn't too much of a competition. And then the fourth year, I guess... There was kind of a competition, but it was Josh McCown, and we kind of knew like Johnny was the backup, Josh was the starter. Um, so there wasn't like a true competition where like every day they were switching reps with the ones and all that. So I've never been part of you know whatever it was the Broncos were doing this year. <laughs> As a player, what is it like to go into a season where you're just kind of hoping for average quarterback play? Like, what does it do to the room? Well, it's not super exciting. Uh, you know, I remember there were a couple of years where, you know, we'd be talking about our upcoming season and, you know, one of our esteemed uh, offensive linemen would just be like, no, nah, we're going to go 4-12. and 12. I was like, <laughs> no, we're not. And he's like, yeah, we are. 
I'm like, dude, we got like this guy and that guy. We look good. This guy's good. He's like, okay. And then sure enough, you know, go four and 12. So uh, it takes a little bit of perspective to, you know, kind of see those things and know what's happening. You know, when you're a young guy, you just expect every year is going to be awesome. Um, so it's not, you know, the greatest thing to go into a season, not have full confidence in your quarterback. Um, you know, I know we'll talk about the defense in a little bit, but I think this defense gets an uptick just from like solid quarterback play because they're so reliant on, you know, kind of not getting into those early holes and knowing like, oh man, we give a touchdown, we're already out of it because our offense can't come back. You know, there's definitely like a mental component that is going to uplift the defense just to have, you know, a guy who's not going to turn the ball over and going to you know, s- sustain some drives. Uh, that makes total sense on the defensive side. On the offensive side, would you rather have a quarterback who has like the theoretical upside of a lock rather than somebody who's a known quantity, which is baseline play like Bridgewater? I don't think so, just because the league is so skewed towards turnovers and turnover battle that, you know, a three and out isn't necessarily a turnover, but it's just such a deflating feeling for everyone, you know, offense and defense, that a three and out, a turnover, you know, a four-play drive, another three and out, another turnover, you know, that's a pretty miserable feeling. And so just kind of having some consistency, stringing six, eight-play drives together, even if you're getting field goals, um, it just feels better. It is better. Um you know, if you're not down in the turnover battle, that's a huge, you know, differentiator for success in the league. So, um, you know, I think it's probably better for for a team going in knowing that there's, you know, some consistency. At least if there's consistency, you know, you know what to expect. That's why I just always assumed he would win this, whether it was before the season or they just gave Locke a token chance to say, all right, you know, like we need to see this through with you, but we don't want you to be the quarterback. It's almost like it was with Mitch last year in Foles, where the first opportunity they could, they were going to yank him. That always made the most sense to me just because of Vic Fangio being the head coach of this team. Like all you want is somebody that's just not going to throw the ball to the other team. Teddy's turnover worthy plays, the PFS stat were a little higher last year than they had been for most of his career. But usually we know what we're getting with Teddy Bridgewater. He's not going to throw the ball to the other team. Drew Locke probably is. And then the rest of this offense, from the outside, it feels like they could be pretty good. Like, if you look at yeah. the component pieces, like, Cortland Sutton looks healthy. Remember last year when Cortland Sutton was, like, this breakout candidate, and now we've just forgotten about him, seemingly? Like, that guy is big, talented. He's a very good player. Jerry Judy in year two. KJ Hamler now in the slot. He's apparently had a really good camp. Talk about being able to see how it all fits together. You combine that with fans. And Albert O, who I have to contractually mention as a Mizzou grad, Javante Williams seems exciting. Like, am I getting ahead of myself to think that the supporting cast here has a chance to be really exciting? No, I don't think so. You know, I think as the Chiefs kind of did their thing the past few years, you know, the the rest of the division has really looked into getting those, you know, speed guys, the the talent on the outside. It's been hilarious to watch it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is pretty funny, but, uh, you know, They've done a good job of it. They've got, you know, kind of everybody in place. They've got, you know, not only one or two guys, they've got three, four, five guys. You know, the, the run game looked pretty good last year in terms of some cool schematic stuff. You know, they got a good line coach. They got a good um, system there. So it's going to be pretty interesting. I mean, I think, as you said, with, you know, just average or better quarterback play, it definitely, um, you know, kind of unlocks a, a bit more to the offense than what we've seen. And, um, They've got the guys to to really make it exciting. Do you have questions about the offensive line, even with Munchak there? You know, Cushenberry was not very good last year as a rookie. Bobby Massey is their starting right tackle. They've got a couple of nice pieces. Like obviously, Bowles turned it around last year in a way that I don't think anybody could have predicted, even with Munchak there. 
They have Dalton Risner. They have Graham Glasgow. Like there are solid players here, but those two spots, I would say, in terms of personnel, are probably the biggest question marks they have left on offense. Yeah, and you know, I mean, you're always like worried about your line. You want it to be as good as possible. You know, I think at some point you kind of just have to trust the coaching and you know the scheme and all those things. So um, they definitely have good players. I mean, you've seen Massey the last few years. He, he can play some good ball when he's out there. So. Um, yeah, I think I would expect it to be, you know, a good group, if not better. Um, but yeah, I think as you look at kind of the skill players and, you know, you take quarterback out of it, that's probably the one, you know, maybe question mark left. Um, it's just what the ceiling is of that O-line. I mean, if the O-line can be pretty good, like the 17th best O-line in the league and Bridgewater can be an average quarterback and you have those weapons. I don't know. I've like, I don't know how good this team can be. I think the answer is like pretty good, like a borderline playoff team. Well, I agree with you. And again, getting back to, you know, I'm sure we're going to transition to defense here. You know, that's kind of what they're banking on. They're banking on, you know, a dependable offense that's not going to necessarily blow you away. They'll be able to take their shots. They've got some good players. They've got some speed. Um, but they're going to, you know, kind of grind it out, um, rely on the run game, rely on the play action, quick passing game. Don't turn the ball over and just let that defense do their thing. This team finished 11th in past defense DVOA last year while ranking 26th in adjusted games lost on defense. So they were one of the most injured defenses in the league and still finished 11th in past defense DVOA. Like Vic Fangio is a wizard. Like it, that, that shit is ridiculous. Do we have any reason outside of like major injury issues when you think about how much better the personnel has gotten for this to be anything less than like a top eight defense? I mean, I would say no, just because like you said, they've kind of got all the guys and they're getting better. You know, essentially, it's like they picked up Von Miller from free agency. Yeah. He didn't play it all year. Now, all of a sudden, Von Miller is healthy and looking great. And now he's opposite Chubb. And, you know, you got this corner who, you know, right or wrong, they took him over a, a couple <laughs> other prospects out there. But, uh, you know, by all appearances, he's seeming to be exactly what they wanted and, you know, really good corner. Um, you know, I think the only, I would guess, concern and reason they wouldn't be top eight is just, a little bit of the variability in defense year to year that we see, you know, those uh, defenses that are best in the league or towards the best of the league don't necessarily come back and repeat. Um, but again, I think they're getting that boost from like the dependability on offense. And so I think that's a little bit of a key factor that they're going to be in tighter games. They're going to have more leads. They're going to be a little bit more excited, a little bit more juice. And um, I think that's going to lead to some, you know, really good success for them. You think about the way the defenses are built right now, the flexibility and depth they have in the back end is insane. Like the idea that Patrick Sertan might be their fourth corner, which we knew coming into the spring, but now as the season's about to get started and you're actually looking at all these rosters and teams that are scrambling to find number two corners, and now this team has four of them, it's just such an advantage. I mean, you said on Twitter today, like when the idea of them trading one of those guys because they're so deep, why? Just just hang on to your cornerbacks. Like you're going to need them over the course of the season. Yeah, I I I mean, I can't imagine getting rid of like a fourth cornerback for a conditional sixth or seventh round pick down the road. I mean, um, if one guy gets hurt, then all of a sudden, like now your fifth or sixth best corner is guarding, you know, me in the slot on third and eight and he's about to burn it down the field. You know, I, I just don't see the value in, you know, a guy who's got like a three percent chance of becoming a quality starter down the road. So. Yeah, if you got cornerback depth, I mean, I think you hold on to it, let alone in this division and the teams they have to go up against. 
that spot, I mean, you think about the different ways those guys can play too. Like Kyle Fuller is awesome playing off. Sertan was a really good press corner at Alabama. We've seen Fangio deploy guys in different ways. Like how that group ends up just shaking out and the, the different techniques they can play with them. I cannot wait to watch that. Vaughn is back, like you mentioned. We talked about playing against Bosa. Last time you played against Vaughn, did it still feel like he had it to the degree that we've gotten used to and that we know he has? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he keeps getting better in terms of like understanding the game better. He's got all these little tricks, you know, as we do our online masterminds. That was in response to what he's been doing with his past rush summit. So they're all learning together. They're all sharing, you know, their kind of tidbits. And so, you know, I think you know, athletically, it seems like he hasn't dropped off at all. He's gotten stronger over the years, so he's added some more power to his game. He still has that incredible bend. You know, I give up a holding and a sack to him on the same play because uh, he beat me so quick. I started to hold him, and then I felt bad that I was doing that, so I kind of just let go, and he got the sack as well. So, yeah, he uh, he can still bend the corner. He can still get off the ball, and, uh, you know, he's still got the power and the spin, so I think it'll be pretty exciting to see. I've been talking to a lot of people just about that Vic Fangio defense and how it relates to Staley and everything else. It's been a pretty consistent conversation this summer. And something that's come up over and over again that is really interesting to me is that Vic just had a really good understanding of pressure, of uh, protection schemes. Like He knew exactly who he needed to bring, even if it was a four-man kind of simulated pressure in order to keep backs in. Just all of these different rules that he knew how to manipulate on various offenses. So when you play – I think you only played against him when he was in Denver twice, right? Just mm-hmm. for one season in 2019. What is the most annoying part about playing against a Vic Fangio defense? Well, yeah, that's one of them that you don't, you know, exactly know where guys are coming from. Uh, as we've seen one of our, you know, top quarterbacks complain about for, you know, a few months now. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to know who, who's coming because it might be a number six and it might be a number 40. And now all of a sudden Denver's got the advantage and all that stuff. But I know, you know, I think defensively they do some kind of weird things with their defensive backs as well, the way they, you know, kind of switch things off or maybe they're not supposed to or in, you know, zone schemes running a little bit more man to it. So it's a combination of like they're doing stuff up front that's stressing the O-line. And then on the back end, they're also making rules and reads a little bit different on receivers and quarterbacks. And so those two kind of work together in tandem and, you know, really make him the defensive mind that he is. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the Broncos this year. Yeah, for me, that was Judy. No, I got Vaughn for that. Cause they're all interchangeable because they're all like you're gonna watch the guy who's the X factor anyway. But for it, me, it's, it's they're good categories, Mitch. Stop. <laughs> I know it just there's so many good players. That's my point. Uh, for me, it's Vaughn just because we haven't seen it in a year. You know, he's always a fun guy to watch and to go against. Um, I just want to see him, you know, healthy, playing well. You know, obviously in 14 games he can have his 24 sacks if he doesn't have them the other two. But uh, I think it's gonna it's just gonna be fun to see him. And I think. You know, again, he's going to have a little bit more juice, more life, you know, having that year off and also I think a little bit more offensive, offensive success and maybe they got some more leads and he can just kind of let loose in the fourth quarter because that's that's been his thing, right? He has like more sacks as the quarter progresses. So it's going to be fun to watch that. I'm excited to watch Sertan. Uh, I just think he's so talented and he was such kind of a polished prospect. And if he's in there pretty early on, it's like their third or fourth corner. Just where he's going to go is really interesting to me. My biggest X factor is Bridgewater. I mean, if, if literally, if he can be an average quarterback, what does that mean for this team? That is the number one thing facing them this year. I know that one's easy. Who's yours? Yeah, I had Judy because it's kind of like the step further that if he is the deep threat we want him to and you know he has the numbers, I think that's showing – 
an extra level of offense that we don't necessarily expect. Um, and so if he's able to get to those levels, that means, you know, Teddy's obviously going to be having a good year and they're going to be, you know, throwing the ball down the field a little bit more than normal. At the end of the day, in this division, it's going to be hard to win off a of defense alone. And so, you know, I kind of see Judy as the benchmark of is this offense just dink and dunk and ball con- ball control and don't turn it over, or are we taking our shots? Are we pushing the ball down the field? And so, if he ends up having that monster year, I think we all know he can. Uh, it's going to be, you know, a pretty awesome team that's succeeding on offense and defense. All right, let's finish out with the Raiders here. Going into year four of John Gruden, there were seven and nine two years ago, eight and eight last year. It kind of feels like this is time. Like this team has $700,000 in cap space. Like they have pushed it into the middle here. And I really don't know what to expect. They took a flamethrower to this defense this offseason. Think about the guys they've added. Quentin Jefferson, Yannick Ngakwe, Solomon Thomas, Denzel Perriman, KJ Wright, Casey Hayward. Most of those guys are former Gus Bradley All-Stars at various stops. They're either former Jaguars or former Seahawks or former Chargers. So now the question is, Bringing in those types of guys familiar in this scheme and bringing in what I will call a reliable schematic approach that Gus Bradley brings, can that bring them from a bottom five defense to an average one? And I'll be honest, I understand the plan. I don't know how well it's going to go, but I get why they wanted to approach it this way. Yeah, you know, that's the thing with Bradley's defense. You know, we kind of hit on it earlier talking about the Chargers is it is pretty stable, pretty static. You know, it's just kind of lining guys up, being very disciplined, you know, doing their job correctly. And so the rest of the division has seen it. So it's not really anything new. It's not like a guy's coming in with this new scheme that, you know, all of a sudden you got to master it. And so it really relies on the personnel. I mean, as you said, they've completely turned the thing over. Um, You know, we saw someone's tweet in the last few days talking about, you know, it's not Gruden or, you know, whoever else it's, it's Mayock that's on the hot seat. So it's kind of that personnel and um, who they can line up. Can, you know, Yana get back to the way he was and become that kind of stud pass rusher that can win one-on-one, you know, is Crosby going to take that step to become, you know, a true bona fide pass rusher, you know, are the second level guys, the third level guys going to be able to, you know, play that scheme the way Gus requires and, you know, hold up against all the other talent in the, in the division. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. And, uh, you know, Gus is an awesome coach. I mean, going against him, like I said, they are very disciplined. They know exactly what to do at all times. Um, it's going to be cool to watch. I can't remember a team though. And I get why they wanted to do this. I get why they wanted to plug these holes with these kind of reliable veterans, but I cannot remember a team just saying, fuck it to their first set of plans and being willing to move on like this. They cut their 2022 third round pick this offseason because they brought in Denzel Perriman and KJ Wright. Also, Nick Kwiatkowski, who they signed to a pretty big free agent deal last year, has been supplemented by those guys. Damon Arnett, who they picked in the first round, has been benched for Casey Hayward. And now it looks like Cleveland Farrell, who they picked in the top five, is going to cede some of his work to Ngakwe. And they can say they don't feel pressured to win now. Doing that and trying to build it that way is the ultimate symbol that you're trying to just fix everything for right now. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a departure, especially when you're basically admitting that you're drafting and signing guys incorrectly. Um, <laughs> the best way to fix that is to throw more money at people. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's a, a stark change for them. Um, you know, usually there kind of is that sunk cost fallacy that teams don't really realize, hey, if I'm not using this guy, I might as well just move on. Like it's I'd rather, you know, spend a little bit more on someone else and I'm going to be paying the money anyway. So, 
uh, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, new scheme, new personnel, all those things. Uh, it might take a little bit of time. I mean, we don't quite know. As you said, they brought back you know, the Gus Bradley All-Star. So I guess these guys have some experience with it and it's not, you know, a completely new scheme for them. But um, it just it relies on such, you know, precise and disciplined action from those guys that, uh, you know, we'll see if they're able to get up to speed in, you know, those first few weeks of the year. The hope is that the young guys they brought in the secondary can kind of add that youthful juice. You know, those guys that have more upside, like Trayvon Morg, they drafted in the second round, is going to be a starting safety for this team. Nate Hobb, their Nate Hobbs, their fifth round pick, is going to be their starting nickel. So that's what we hope for, right? Because they have so few homegrown defensive stars. That's why they've needed to do this. So if they can hit on a couple of those guys, it would go a long, long way. On offense, you know, this has been a perpetually borderline top ten offense. They were 10th in dropback EPA last year. They've been 9th over the last two years combined. I think they were 11th in passing DVOA last season. What do you think they need to do to go from just a pretty good offense to like a top five type offense, that game-changing type offense that can take you to onto a playoff run? Yeah, it seems like they've always had a pretty good scheme. I mean, Gruden came back and you know the offense was kind of firing from the get-go. He was doing you know good stuff formationally. Um, he does seem to rely on, you know, a little bit of the run play action, you know, kind of shorter passes. Obviously we've seen Carr have a lot of success, you know, kind of driving the ball down the field and, you know, hitting some of those shots to, you know, they got some speedy guys out there now too. Um, but they seem to go into the year thinking that the O-line needed to get younger, get cheaper, get better. And I would imagine they're, you know, relatively static elsewhere in terms of quarterback, receiver, tight end, running back, and the offensive line is really the difference. And so I think that's, uh, where they're looking to improve and, you know, that ability to run the ball the way they want to mirror that to the play action game, the way they want to, you know, protect the quarterback when they're dropping back, uh, that's going to unlock, you know, that last level of success to get them into the top five. It, the scheme is really fun to watch. I mean, some of the stuff they do is super creative. I mean, it reminds me of some of the things that you guys do, right? Where they have those three by one formations with Waller on the backside, Bobby Peters, who does a really good job writing about the league. He's written several books, just kind of, manuals about different offenses and how they work said that they're kind of choice aspects of their offense where they have either Renfro or Waller running those choice routes on high leverage downs is one of the more diverse, effective choice packages in the entire league. And they have interesting ways to get their guys open and let them work. It just feels like there's one more notch for this to go. And maybe it is the offensive line. You know, they went and they replaced Rodney Hudson with Andre James they drafted Alex Leatherwood to be their starting right tackle. I mean, obviously, he can be a mauler in the run game. They have a little bit of depth now. You know, Denzel Good is there, and they also have John Simpson, their fourth-round pick from 2020. So that has to be the hope. And I think the other part of this is what they're going to get from Ruggs, right? I mean, if they have Waller and we know what he is, can they have Ruggs take a step forward to be more than just a distraction, eye candy, a deep threat that's going to pull other people away? Because the way they used him last year, he averaged 16.9 air yards per target, which is the second highest mark in the league. They used him in the way that the Chargers would use like Jalen Guyton or the Packers would use MVS, which is fine. But Ruggs was the 11th overall pick in the draft. So hopefully you'd want a little bit more out of him just in terms of his role within your offense. And I think that is going to be a big question for them in year two for him. Is he going to be more of a central part of what they're doing rather than something that they use as a way to pull other guys away. That's one of the things people I think underestimate about Tyreek is 
he's so fast and he's so quick that you just kind of think of him in that role of just like running super fast in one direction and scaring defenses. But like he's a number one receiver. He yes. runs all the routes. He is an ex- insane route runner too. I mean, he works incredibly hard at it and he can do anything on the field. So um, I think, you know, the league kind of like, you know, what was it? Probably five to eight years ago, the league started just drafting uh, athletes at tackle and hoping they could learn how to play offensive tackle. Yeah, that went really you know, you, well. Yeah. You can't necessarily just like draft an athlete and force them to play football. And kind of the same with the receiver. You can't just necessarily draft a super fast guy and like force him to be able to get in and out of, you know, his routes and his breaks and his cuts. And so, yeah, I don't want to, you know, go too far on the foreshadowing here, but I think rugs might come up in a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to, you know, see how they use him. See again, if he can kind of take that step and, um, as you said, do more than like just be the guy that runs deep. Although there is value in it, you know, Coach Reed, you know, from the Alex Smith years kind of got panned as, oh, it's all so horizontal and lateral and nothing downfield. And, you know, I think they went the whole year without a uh, touchdown to a wide receiver. Um, but you do get these guys who can stretch the field. And like now a defense is only defending, you know, 12 yards deep. And now they have to really defend like 40 yards deep. There's a lot of value in that. That, that, creates a lot of stress on a defense so um there is value to having like that elite speedster who really does take the top off if he's effective in that role but as you said ideally with the 11th pick in the draft he's providing a little bit more than just that yeah you can find those guys the Khalif Raymond is around those guys are available every single offseason when you guys are playing against the Raiders over the last few years when Paul Gunther was there how did you how would you characterize their defense like when you guys were preparing for them did you just think that this is easy pickings like we're gonna have a pretty good day here (laughs) <laughs> no, you know, I think schematically he's actually pretty good uh, because he's versatile. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get. You know, it's kind of like that pitcher who's got, you know, eight different pitches and on any given day, you know, he's going to use these four against you. Um, but it's not like you're going against him and saying, all right, he's always going to, you know, a Max Scherzer who's always going to groove a fastball and a slider and a changeup and, and that's about it. So you're, you're going into it not necessarily knowing what you're going to get because they do so many things. But on the flip side, you know, it's not like a Gus Bradley that they do what they do and they do it incredibly well and successfully. So, you know, going into those games, you know, they tended to do a pretty good job against us. Weirdly, the last few seasons, it seemed like, you know, we had one quarter where we'd score like 28 points and the final score was like, 35 to whatever and you know for the most part it's like oh well aside from the second quarter you know the Raiders were were right there with them so they've had some success um it's just going to be so different because it's like such a different structure so you know kind of static and normal and know what you're going to get obviously we talked about completely different personnel um but no going into you know playing them you know especially I guess after Khalil Mack left there was uh a little bit less stress up front, um, you know, <laughs> the same level of, of pass rush ability there, but it uh, seems like they've, you know, turned the corner on that as well. All right. One guy you cannot wait to watch on the Raiders this year. For me, it's Yannick. You know, I, I as you can tell, kind of tend to prioritize these, these front guys, but man, <laughs> he was like, he was the, the guy like three or four years ago that was like, no one's talking about him. He's a baller. You know, he can do all these cool things. Um, him and Demarcus Lawrence were kind of the first two to really prioritize that cross chop that the people see. Um, so if he can get back to that level, I mean, he was you know one of the top rushers in the league. Um, you know, that's going to transform that defense. Like I said, it's um, you know, kind of reliant on who they got up front, and it's just going to be interesting to watch him and see if he can get back to that level. 
Minus Alex Leatherwood. I just he's obviously phys- very physically talented. I mean, he's a first round pick. So some of the you know you look at his testing numbers are off the charts. You know, he has a lot of physical gifts. I thought he was a little bit stiff at Alabama at times in the way he would move, but clearly has a lot of physical ability. And whether he can unlock that, I think goes a long way, like you mentioned, in them improving their running game. I mean, he's a big, powerful guy. And them missing Trent Brown over the last few years, I do think hurt them. So getting just more consistent, reliable, healthy play from that right tackle spot, I think could go a long way for their offense. All right. Biggest X factor for you. Yeah, I had rugs. Uh, so did know, I. Similar to yeah, talking about Judy. I mean, essentially, again, that's the guy that's going to be, is this offense taking the leap, you know, based on does he have 75 plus catches and, you know, all the yards and touchdowns. And I think if, you know, he can be really successful, if he can have the numbers you'd like to see in a number one or number two receiver, you know, that means, you know, full offensive control for them. And they're throwing the ball vertically. They're doing all the things they want to. And you know, he's kind of the guy that's going to unlock it. All right. I totally agree. I mean, I, I just think that that is where this offense could take the next step. The running game has to be better. And you know, they brought in Kenyon Drake, obviously. They still have Josh Jacobs. Can the line be a little bit more you know, spry, young, powerful? What do they get out of that group? But I think Ruggs and what he does for them is a huge, huge component of that offense taking the final step that they need to. Because with Bradley there, like we mentioned, they're really shooting for average. Like They want to be more static. They want to be acceptable. And I think that really speaks to their overall plan and how they want to get to the playoffs. All right. Final question. Who do you think is winning the AFC West? I mean, it's going to be pretty difficult to pick <laughs> against the Chiefs for the next 15 years. So, yeah, <laughs> put a little red circle around them, and uh, that'll be my pick from here on out. Yeah, I feel pretty good about that as well. I, I do think that a couple of these teams, I mean, any team in this division outside of the Chiefs, I think could fight for a wild card this year. But I think with the, the Chiefs essentially said, the offensive line is the only thing that can derail this, and we are going to make sure that's not a problem. And then they went out and did it. So I totally agree. I mean, I think they're probably going to have the best record in the AFC. The Buffalo is going to probably push them, but I'm picking the Chiefs for a long, long time as well. Mitch, we did it, buddy. First podcast in the books. I sincerely appreciate you doing this. I'm really looking forward to doing it every single week, and I guarantee you that people are going to feel the same way. Well, thank you. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Looking forward to it as well. All right, guys, that's all we got for today. That's it. We have all eight division previews in the books. Hopefully, you'll be able to listen to all of them by the time the season kicks off later tonight. I'll be back tomorrow with Nate and Shiel. We're going to do some preseason awards. I know there's going to be a game that happens between now and then, but that's okay. We're going to do some preseason awards, some of our favorite picks. Really looking forward to that. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice mean a lot to me as the season goes starting please subscribe to the athletic i wrote today about essentially the plan that the colts and panthers had when they traded for carson wentz and sam darnold and why they thought that they would be able to salvage those guys and made big bets on them i have another piece coming tomorrow that i hope you guys will check out we did it guys football is here i cannot wait to watch tonight can't wait to be with you guys tomorrow can't wait to be with you guys on sunday We'll be back tomorrow with Sheila and Nate. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.